Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. If you were a part of the holiness movement back in the 60s and 70s, one name you're sure to recall is Stanley Kendall, and what a firebrand he was. This message was preached in 1976 at Seabreeze Camp Meeting in Hope Sound, Florida. I know you'll enjoy this message that he titles, Barrenness. Thank you, Brother Heron. It's good to be in Hope Sound tonight by God's divine providential oversight and care. It looked as though we weren't going to be able to make it a time or two through the fall months and winter months. Some of you have said to me, well, you're not very much marked. That was the least of my worries. Several of you have asked me about the explosion that burned my face and arms and hands quite badly. And I guess one of the first things that people say to me, well, Brother Kendall, when they'd call me or write me, are you scarred? Are you marked? And I've answered them always, that's the least of my worries. That never entered my mind whether I was going to be scarred or marked. I gave this body to God a number of years ago. I laid it at his feet. And he's big enough to take care of it, and whatever he wishes to do with it, it's his tonight. We were laying there, swelled in body, and I guess our face and head was twice, maybe two and a half times its size, and all filled with water blisters and skin off of my face and off of my hands and flesh red and showing, and the wife and daughter had gone to bed on Saturday night, and I was laying there telling him I was his. And he had a lesson in this for me, and I was a student in his school, just to teach me what he wished to teach me. And along about midnight while I was praying, he said to me, I am the Lord thy God, which healeth thee, Stanley. And I said, that's enough. <laughs> Praise God. And I laid on that old bed aching and throbbing and burned and blistered and swelled till it seemed as though you'd burst. And I said, Lord, that's all right. It's enough. Praise God. Well, the Lord, let's bless you. It's good to be here with the camp meeting group tonight and with the school and brother and sister French and our ministerial brethren and those who we've labored with across the country and friends that we haven't seen for some time and then new people that we do not know and we're strangers as far as intimacy is concerned. But the Lord richly bless you. We have a great work ahead of us. I know there'll be some visiting and some time for visitation and there'll be some laughter and 
There'll be some news to repeat and some things that we need to learn about each other and enjoy each other's fellowship. Well, that's the least of it, friends. We have a great work ahead of us. I believe they've announced this as a camp meeting. And to have a camp meeting, we've got to have God. To see revival come means that the blessed Holy Ghost will need to come. Have a lovely tabernacle and have crowds and have music and have everything that we need as far as physical needs are concerned. And we perhaps have that in abundance. But oh, to see God come in his fullness, in his richness, in his greatness, in his glory, in his power, as he desires to come to meet every need That'll be on these campgrounds. And that's what he desires to do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And my heart's desire is to be an unstopped channel, an open vessel, for the Holy Ghost to be permitted to do that very thing. Praise God. I trust your praying. It's good to see Brother West again. We hadn't seen him for a number of years. To have him as our co-worker here. I came to sit at his feet as well as at God's feet and hear God's message, and I intend to profit by our co-laborers' messages and his work in the camp with us, thank God, as well as those who have other parts in the services. If you have your Bibles tonight and wish to follow, turn with me in the Old Testament to the first book of Samuel. The first chapter of 1 Samuel. I began the reading in the eighth verse. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, Why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had taken, after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. And she vowed a vow, and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look upon the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. Verse 20, please. 
Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Verse 26. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. May we bow our heads together in prayer. Our gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we thank thee for thy word tonight. Oh, how we love thy word. We love thy word, and we love thee. Thou art dear to our heart and precious to our soul. And we thank thee for thyself. Oh, to have thee, the King of kings and Lord of lords, to have thee, the Savior of men, to have thee, the bridegroom of our heart, to dwell in our heart and walk in these bodies. Thank God to possess us for thine own. Get glory to thy great name, we pray. Order our lives according to thy will and thy purpose, and thou shalt have the praise. For we ask it in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. I'd like to think with you tonight on the tragedy of and the triumph over spiritual barrenness. The tragedy of being spiritually barren. What a tragedy. I'm afraid we evaluate it very slightly. I had to think tonight to think that I'm speaking to a crowd here in Hope Sound Camp Meeting. And if God Almighty would open the books and turn to the records and give an actual, up-to-date account of your and my life, he would have to say, spiritually barren. Spiritually barren. And when he traveled along the roadside one morning, he saw a fig tree, and he was a hungered, and he went to the fig tree to get figs, if you recall, and he found nothing but leaves, nothing but a profession, nothing but a put-on. Nothing but a church member. Nothing but one who trots all over the countryside to camp meetings and rides a high tide. You remember how God dealt with that tree? He cursed it and said to it, No man shall eat from thee henceforth. And Peter the next day was amazed and he said, Behold the fig tree that thou cursedest. It is withered and dried up from the roots. I believe we're living in an hour when many people have professed so much and lied to the Holy Ghost so many times until they hardly know the difference between human emotionalism and a divine move of the Spirit. Sad thing. There's little discernment today. I think of some workers we worked with a number of years ago, and they said, Brother Kendall, we was on one of the camp meeting platforms, and some of you have been there. I've seen you in that camp. And they said while we were sitting on the seat before we got up to sing, something was said that amused us and tickled us, and we got to laughing. And said we said to each other, we've got to quit this. We can't get up there to sing like this. But she said our human emotions were just turned crossways with us, and we couldn't help but laugh. And they got up there, no blessing of God, no move of the Spirit on their hearts. They had literally been tickled or amused 
and overwhelmed in their human emotions by something that was said that was funny. And before I finish that, let me digress here a moment. That's what many of our preachers and evangelists have learned. If they preach anything that stings or goes home, then before it hurts too much and cuts down on their offering or their recall, they know how to crack a little funny joke to take the sting and to cut out of it. And multitudes of people like it so. That's the reason why they do it. She said, we stood there and tried to get our composure, but we couldn't get it. And in that hilarity of human emotionalism, she said, people began to shout and praise God and run the aisles. Amen. The tragedy of spiritual barrenness, so far from a knowledge of God and so far from the realization of the voice of God. My sheep know my voice and a stranger will they not follow but will flee from them. And I call my sheep by name and they know me and I know them. It's wonderful, thank God, to have an experience that brings you to an intimacy with God. An intimacy with the Savior and the Shepherd and an intimacy with the Blessed Holy Ghost. That you're not carried away and carried astray by some little fond dangling ideas or some little superficial put on or some little pleasing personality or some promises or such. This is a day when we have too many mere flickers of worship. Just mere flickers and that's all it is. As far as real divine worship, as far as the real outpouring of the Spirit, as far as a worship service beginning when you walk through the door of your home church or the tabernacle and continuing on through till the last amen is said and God has visited and poured out of His Spirit, of His grace and of His power and of His glory and sinners have been moved upon and conviction has fallen and backsliders have trembled in their seats and children have sat there and not chewing their chewing gum or playing tip-tap-toe or writing in the psalm verse. God was there. It was a real true worship service in the presence of a holy God and God was in that midst. But today, just a little flicker of worship. Now and then. Majority of it, human emotionalism. We've come to the place to where communion with God is about a foreign thing. So when we lose communion with God, then we have a bargain with priest or with preacher and people. Amen. And they bargain together. If you won't preach on certain things, I'll pay you. If you'll be a jolly good fellow and a good sportsman, and if you'll let us out by at least, oh, 11.30 or quarter 12 on Sunday morning, we'll stay for preaching service. Well, I saw that take place in one of our churches in the homeless movement just a few years ago. He said, I was only having a few people out for Sunday morning service. But he said, when I got my board together, I see some of you shaking your heads. You know probably where it is. I'll leave that with you. He got his board together and the leaders together. And he said, if I would agree to let you out by 1130 on Sunday morning, would you stay for pre-? And they agreed. And he said, it just has worked wonderfully. And we have a good crowd. I believe there's more people here than what said amen on that too. 
Amen. Not real communion with God. Not real true worship. For he that worships God must worship him in spirit and in truth. For God is the spirit. And he seeketh such to worship him. Thank God. Not a time-limiting crowd that wants to get out to get the home door that wants their TV or so they can get their skis and their boat and get out on the waterways or on the lake or on the river or something else that they want to do. Be alarming tonight what's wrapped up even in a crowd like this. Yes, sir. What their hearts are set upon and what they like to do and what their amusements and divergences are and the reason why they do not have the glory and the fire upon their souls. Amen. Some of those things will probably be brought out a little later as Brother West begins to fill in and take his place and other speakers. Amen. The tragedy of spiritual barrenness. What a tragedy it is. What a shame it is and a disgrace it is. If I'd ask you tonight, just point blank, how long has it been since you've had a Holy Ghost revival in your church? How long has it been? Would you say it was in 75? Would you say it was in 74? Would you say it was in 73? Would you say you even had one in 72? A real Holy Ghost revival that moved the community for God and reached the outside and reached lost families and brought them in and changed the face of the community and the crowds around. And God really worked in mighty... How long has it been? The tragedy of it. To think that the majority of our young people, the majority of these on both sides and scattered through the congregation and behind me in our homeless churches have never seen real Holy Ghost revival. No. Can you imagine such a thing? Can you imagine such a thing? What answer are you and I going to give in that day when we meet God for why we didn't pay the price? For true Holy Ghost revival. But just merely played church. Oh, we have a divine photographer visiting with us here in this chapter tonight who takes pictures exactly as they are. Did you ever see a picture that flattered you? My, look at my mouth twisted. Look at my dress down on one side. Look at your tie all pulled over to one side. Do I look like that? Yeah, just exactly. Just exactly. But oh, how few of us want God to take a photograph of us spiritually and show us to ourselves just as we are in God's eyes. He took a picture here of this man and he said, now, Cana had two wives out of God's divine order and God's divine plan and God's divine purpose. He doesn't tell us why, but he tells us that he had two wives. Blessed quietness. Yeah. I say he tells us that he had two wives out of God's divine order. For God said one man for one woman. He doesn't flatter or palaver or cover up. 
Now try to garnish it. He just takes a picture and says, here it is. Here it is. And then he gives us a picture not only of the man there, a tribe, member of the tribe of Levi, but he gives us a picture of the priest. Now Eli sat on a stool by the post or the pillar of the temple. Now that temple was the tabernacle that Moses was told by God to build according to the pattern in the mount and was placed in at Shiloh. And if you go back and look of all the pattern that God gave Moses for the tabernacle, there was no place in it for a stool for the priest to sit on. No, sir. But can't you see that stool all worn slick? Now, like some preacher studies. Got to have a radio in my study. Oh, yeah, to get the news. Yes, sir. Mine. I got to have a couch over there when I get tired so I can lay down. Oh, brother. This perverted priesthood or perverted ministry at our time servers. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, pleasure seekers. Covetous. Oh, what a picture. A stool to sit on. Amen. I see some of you looking at me a little bit strange. Henry Clay Morrison said, I preached one night in the opening service of camp on prayer. And he said at the close of that service, Brother Bud Robinson and I were staying in the same room, one of the workers' cottages. And he said, I was getting myself ready for bed, washing my face and taking care so I'd be able to go to bed and go to sleep and sleep comfortably. And he said, I looked around and Uncle Bud was sitting over on the floor. And he had his old Barlow knife out. And I said to him, Uncle Bud, what are you doing? He said, I'm scraping the calluses off my knees. They got a little bit calloused and hard and dry. And he said, when I stay on my knees over two hours at a time, there'd be pain and hurt and it would interfere and rob me of the spirit of prayer that I wanted. Henry Clay Morrison said, I turned and went over where he was and fell down and put my arm around him and said, Brother, Brother Robinson, I preached on prayer tonight. I've talked on prayer and I felt like that I knew something about prayer life. But he said, Brother Robinson, I don't know what it is to have any calluses on my knees. Like priests, like people. It's estimated the average preacher prays about seven minutes a day. I had one preacher say to me, oh, I just can't seem to get along with God and in a secret place and pray. If I can just get behind the wheel and drive, I can pray so much more effectually. I said, well, if you was praying and lost in prayer and had your eyes shut and the world shut out, I wouldn't want to meet you on the highway. Yes, sir. Oh, this terrible tragedy of spiritual barrenness today. Yes, sir. Now Eli sat on a pole, on a stool by the post, all slick and worried, laid his head against the post, all greasy. And his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there. That's all he could say. That's all he could say. They were there. Wonder if God took a photograph of many of us tonight. Last Sunday, Sunday a week, the Sunday's back through 75. All he could say is, they were there. They were there. 
They put nothing in the service. They came with no spirit of prayer. They came with no burden. They came with no concern. They came with no heart hunger. They came with no meeting place with God. They came without any interest in the service. They were merely there. If you'll be downright honest tonight and truthful with your own heart, how many services have you been? All that could be said of you was, I was there. I had no burden. I had no concern. I didn't come there with an interest in the service. I hadn't prayed for the preacher very much. I wasn't interested in whether we had an altar call or not. I sat there and looked at pictures. I sat there and fondled through the songbook. I sat there and looked around and waved at this one and waved at that one and threw a little kiss to a child up here. I was just there. Half asleep and half awake. I couldn't tell you what he preached on. I couldn't tell you anything about it. I sat there and watched the clock. I wondered when he was going to get through. I thought the service was dry. God help you and I tonight. They were there and that was all you could say. They were there just in body. This divine photographer takes some pictures and gives them just as they are. Oh, bless his name. Bless his name. But he gives us a picture of another individual in this lesson tonight. And that's a picture of this lady, this heartbroken, barren woman, Hannah. What a picture he gives us of this dear woman. Oh, thank God. Thank God. As she faces the reality of her own life and is honest. And God can't help anybody that won't be honest. Could I just look you straight in the two eyes tonight and ask you, are you absolutely honest with God? The people you influence and your own immortal soul. Are you? Are you? Absolutely. 100%. Honest with God Almighty. With those whom your life influences and with your own immortal soul. There's no shaded area. There's no cover-up. There's no slanting this thing. There's no palaver. There's nothing behind the back. No, sir. No, sir. Oh. First, I would have you see her prosperous earthly life. Elkanah kind of gives us a picture. He gave unto Panana his wife that bare him children. And by the way, that's the only time that I recognize and recall that her name was ever mentioned. She was a mother of several nameless children, and it's all forgotten. But unto Hannah he gave a double portion, for he loved her. And when Hannah was bitter and crying and weeping, he said unto her, Hannah, why weepest thou? Oh, this little jolly black slapping crowd, they don't know what it is to weep. They don't know what it is to carry a burden. They don't know what it is to walk the floor. They don't know what it is to have a groan down inside the heart that feels like it is literally killing. Why weepest thou, Hannah? And why eatest thou not? Am I not better than even ten sons? But a soul that's been awakened to its own barrenness, its own lostness, its own playing church and put on, 
its own barrenness in the eyes of God and has nothing but leaves. It takes more than a little fun. It takes more than a Wednesday night when you can slip down to Howard Johnson's and get all you can eat for a certain amount. And then spend the next hour and a half and take an Alka-Seltzer or something and be up and awake half of the rest of the night walking the floor because of overeating. Oh. I think she was married well and had a husband that loved her. And had a home perhaps with everything that a woman's heart would desire as far as comforts and the things of home are concerned. She had it there. And he gave large gifts to her and gave her everything that her heart desired. And many of you have got that tonight. Many of you. And thank God for the benefits that he gave us. For every good and every perfect gift cometh down from above from the Father of lights with whom there is no variable, neither shadow of turning. But to think to take those things and have those things and be blessed of God with them and then let the enemy of your soul and your own selfish disposition and spirit and that old carnal nature rob you of bringing, giving glory unto God and laying it all back at his feet. Thank God for his disposal. Oh, but with all those things that she had, she recognized and realized I'm a barren woman. I'm a barren woman. She wasn't contented with a little religion in church services. No, sir. She wasn't concerned about just having a little profession. She wasn't gratifying her own soul with the fact that she was a child and member of the church and a member of the camp board and one of the biggest givers there was in the whole association. She wasn't contenting herself with that. That wasn't the thing that satisfied her heart. She was tired of that and weary of that Oh, I remember a ring meeting at Old Stoneboro, Brother Robinson, one of the times when I was there. I'll never forget a little lady stepped out into the ring, and she gave someone this testimony. She said, I know God has saved you men and you women from the depths of sin. And she said, I'm thankful that he has. And some of those men had testified to the depths that God had permitted them to be delivered from and the depths Satan had taken them to. And people rejoiced in that. But she said, I feel like I was a deeper sinner than any of you that have told such stories here this afternoon. She said, I was a good church member, a good moral young person that God had to get to and break through that crust and that profession and that put on and that moral life where I thought I didn't have to repent and confess and forsake sin and go back and make restitutions and straighten up and be transformed and made a new creature and go on and be sanctified entirely. I didn't think, but God got to me and showed me my life. Miserable, wretched, poor, all sinful soul hiding out in a church. Oh, bless his name. Bless his name. A prosperous church life. Yes, sir. Oh. But she was not only facing the day, that day at the prosperous church life. She was presented with her own barren life. She was presented with it. Why? To be presented with that life. To think. To be facing God tonight, a barren individual without souls. What does that mean? It means that I have no children to call me mother. And by the way, am I speaking to any mothers in Israel in Hope Sound tonight? They're few and far between. I say mothers in Israel are few and far between. 
So are fathers in Israel. Somebody that has a concern and a care. Somebody when a soul prays to an altar. God lays that young convert on that mother's heart or that young man on that father's heart. And they make their way to that one and say, I want to share it with you. I want to help to carry a load. I want to see you get established. I want to confide in you that I'm going to carry you to the throne of grace in prayer. And they carry that soul on wings of prayer. They're interested in their concern, mothers and fathers in Israel. Oh, bless his name. I remember one of the meetings, a man of the street plowed his way through. You could tell he'd been in deep of sin. He rose from that altar, his face shining and radiant and gave a wonderful testimony. He said, I want you folks to pray for me. I don't have a place to go to call home. I sleep just wherever I can find a place. I've spent, I guess, the majority of my nights in the last six months either in jail or going to jail and ask them for a place to lay my head to sleep. He said, I want you to pray for me. With the record of my life, it's hard for me to get a job when they inquire and the record of my life. And one of those noble men of that church stepped out from his pew, walked down and put his arm around him, and he said to him, Oh, that poor wretched sinner of a few moments ago now is saved. He said, Brother... Don't talk like that. You do have a home. You do have a bed. You do have a place to lay your head. And the record of your past doesn't amount to a thing. And that man literally staggered at that man saying that. And he said, where do I have such a place as that? He said, my own house. My home is your home, my brother. You have a bed. You have a pillow. You have a place at the table. And the record of your past don't amount to a thing. And that brother took him home and kept him and was a father to him in Israel and got him established and settled and walked with God. And he's shouting the praises of God yet tonight. Of course, if it was the governor or a United States senator or if it was one of the conference officials, they'd be welcome at your house. I say they'd be welcome at your house. You'd think you might promote your cause or increase a little bit in your popularity. Yes, sir. But not a poor, lost, bedraggled man. Dirty, humanly speaking, and filthy. Saved by the grace of God. A brother through the precious blood. My home is your home. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Oh, she was presented with her own proud, stubborn, selfish spirit of the past. No place for God, no place for God's people and God's children, and no time for them. And her home had not been an open place, and her beds had not been a welcome with a reception for anyone who came and knocked at your heart's door, knocked at your own home's door. Oh, she was presented with it, presented with it. I don't want revivals. I'm not interested in old-fashioned prayer meetings. I'm not concerned about college prayer meetings. I'm not concerned about nights of prayer. I'm not concerned about a move of the Spirit. I'm content with the things that I have. Oh, the people tonight that would throw cold water on real revival. The people tonight that would criticize any close preaching and draw back and fight and dig in their heels and fuss and complain about the thing. Oh, the crowd tonight that sits there and fights the very truth of God that he wants to give to bring revival and save your boys and girls and you resisting this thing. (laughs) 
she was presented with her own barrenness. I wouldn't know any better way to illustrate this tonight than by this physically. It's a sad thing to see women whose lives are barren. It's either an awful curse or a terrible tragedy. One of the two. But preaching out in the far west a number of years ago, along in the last part of the second week, a couple had been coming, service after service. God was dealing with them. The pastor and his wife said, I wish we could get them in. They've been coming spasmodically for about a year and a half, but they just don't seem to grasp what it is to be born again, to be really made new in Christ Jesus. Along, as I said, toward the last part of the second week, that woman got out of her seat and moved down to the altar, and her husband followed her down. And they prayed, and they prayed earnestly. I can see her yet. They didn't get through, got up and moved back to their seat. Shaking hands with them at the door as they went out, I said, I trust you'll be back tomorrow night. They said, we will. If God gives us life and health and strength and we are able to come, we'll be back tomorrow night. And I said, we'll be praying for you. Don't become discouraged because you didn't get through the very first time at an altar. Oh, they said, we're not. And they sought on through till Saturday night. And Saturday night, I don't know who I was praying with, but others there, the pastor came over, <laughs> tapped me on the shoulder and said, Brother Kendall, this couple has been seeking, wants to talk to my wife and I and you in one of the side Sunday school rooms. And I said, all right. Excuse myself from where I was praying with those others and slipped over there. I'll never forget that lady. She looked us in the face and then turned to that pastor's wife and she said, I never wanted to be a mother. I refuse to be a mother. And she poured out from her heart that fight and that struggle and the things that she'd done and the way she'd lived to refuse to become a mother. And she said, I can't get through. I can't get through. I can't get through. We all three pled with her, had prayer and stayed with her till sometime in the hours of the morning. Went home. She was back Sunday morning. She was back Sunday night. I don't know whether she ever got through or not. I don't know. It's a sad thing. Let me turn this spiritually quickly. I wonder how many of you have refused to be deeply spiritual. How many of you have refused to be a real prayer warrior? How many of you have refused to be a mother and a father in Israel? How many of you have refused to carry the burden? To lay under the load? To know what it means to have a broken heart, a broken spirit, a groan within, a sob, a sigh. Till it literally stoops your shoulders and you become sick in your stomach and you can't eat and you can't sleep and nothing else matters. Oh, but you refused. You refused. You fought God. You fought the blessed Holy Ghost. You fought truth. You fought your own conscience. You fought him to a standstill and took up with a little popular crowd that knew how to pat each other's back and slap each other's back and scratch each other's back and pour a little salve and put a little ointment on and make you think you was a wonderful person. But tonight, the Holy Ghost has got you cornered.
Just a little shallow church member. Just a little professor of religion. But no depth. No spiritual burden. No spiritual concern. No sheaves to lay at his feet. No fruit for the master. A barren branch. Ready to be cut off. Gather the men. And cast into the fire. And be burned. Because they're fruitless. Fruitless. We could get a crowd like this to be honest. Really be honest. What God could do. In all hopes down camp. Oh. But she was not only presented with her barrenness. She was pained in her heart. The pangs, the anguish that are there. Oh. No children to call me mother. No children to care for. No children to love. No, nothing about sacrifice for my children. And I have no interest in the oncoming generation. For I don't have any children. And I'll have no children to carry on after I'm gone. And I'll have no children to bear a name. And I'll have no children to bear witness that I ever lived. Oh, can you imagine such a thing? With your little feeble, paltry life. Your little shallow prayer life. Your little indifference. Never stay for an altar service. And if you do, you look around and as soon as the first one gets up to leave, here you go tripsing out. And you'll be over at the store or the commissary or the staff. Or be at the room or you'll be at Stewart or you'll be down at Jupiter or you'll be someplace else finding something to eat or something to drink. And gallivant and waste your time away. And seekers are out. Can you imagine? I may be speaking to Sunday school teachers and Sunday school superintendents and preachers and preachers. Why? That right here in camp you'll show your spiritual barrenness by your indifference. You can trips off any place. You can do anything. Anything to get away from a deep spiritual life and to carry the burden and pay the price that costs you. Yes, sir. With your cameras and your projectors and your screens. Blessed quietness. So I can just get them together in evening after evening. We'll laugh and joke and hee-haw and we'll have a moving picture in our room and in our cottage. Or over in our trailer. Part of the tragedy of this thing. On Hope Sound Campground. No more concern. No more interest. And no more burden. And no more care. Why their soul prays through. Than that. And a professed church leader back home. She was pained by this thing. It was unnatural. It was unnatural. Yes sir. And it's just not natural. For a man or woman, a boy or girl to be saved and entirely sanctified and have no concern nor no burden for lost souls and have no interest in seekers and not produce any fruit for the master. It's just unnatural. It's unnatural. This thing was an unreal family life. It's an unreal family life. Think, Mom. Think, Dad. Think of our little home. Well, here God's given us a home. We don't have any young converts coming. We don't have people coming in here. We don't have any cottage prayer meetings. We don't have any real gatherings together of spiritual life. If I'm really a spiritual man, you're a spiritual man and a spiritual woman, there are some things that would be real. This thing is unreal. But the, I want to bring one other thought here. This thing was unbearable. Unbearable. Unbearable, 
Why would the God he could get to us till it would become unbearable around here? Unbearable. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. I won't go on another day like this. I won't bear with it. I won't. I won't. Go on your merry way, you buddies. Go on your merry way, you social crowd. Go on your way, whatever way you want to go. But I will not go another step down this road. It's unbearable. Oh. Jonathan Edwards wasn't cornered by scarcity of crowds. Jonathan Edwards wasn't cornered by lack of offerings and money and finances. But Jonathan Edwards was crushed within by religious stagnation. <laughs> Just so your official board and your missionary leaders can turn in a good report in the eyes of man. But you know that back home in the reality of it, there's no glory and no power and no fire and no new families brought in and no new births around there and not very many fruitful altar services. You know it. But just so I can look good in the eyes of man. He was moved and heartbroken over spiritual stagnation and over birth bankruptcy. Yes, sir. Birth bankruptcy. Uh, could you imagine this in our churches tonight? Could you imagine this in our homes? Mom, Daddy, where are your children? How many of them are in? I don't know. I don't know. How many new converts have you won in 52 Sundays of services in your church, preacher? Laymen, church leaders. How many new families have you brought in? What's been your effect upon your community? Has it changed it more to a face of righteousness? More to a face like heaven? Has it changed it more to a spirit of morality and righteousness and peace and joy and happiness in God? Or is the church where you go a spiritual stagnated place? Noted only for birth bankruptcy. And the community moves on and goes deeper and deeper in sin week after week. And the church goes on its way. Oh, let me, let me try to seal this truth and move on. If the salt has lost its savor, it's fit for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under for the man. Could you imagine it? The tragedy of this thing. It's there. This illustration was given me. I'm passing it on to you tonight. One of our pastors in one of the other homeless movements, his wife gave the story. She said, I was awakened that night by the bed just coming to a jar. And she said, I turned over and my husband was sitting up in bed. And I said, what's the matter? He said, I guess I just had a dream, honey. He said, I can't lie down. And she said, he got up and dressed and walked out of the bedroom. And she said, I heard him downstairs pacing the floor. And she said, I got up and dressed. And I walked downstairs and I looked him in the face and his face was ashen and pale. His eyes kind of protruded. And I said to him, what's wrong with you, husband? He said, I guess it was a dream. I don't know. And she said, tell me what it is. 
Tell me what it is. And he said, I can't tell you what it is right now. And she said, he evaded me and walked outside. And I heard him walking on the porch. And I slipped out again and approached him to tell me. And he evaded me again and walked out to the sidewalk in front of the house and began to pace back and forth. And she said, I went out there and got him by the arm. And I said, come on back in the house, Daddy. People will think we're crazy. Something's wrong. Come on back. And he said, she said, he walked back in the house with me and sat down in a chair and just stared. And finally, I said, Daddy, you've shared everything else with me. Marriage vows made us one. We're a mother and a daddy of the same group of children. We've pastored together. Tell me what it is. And said he tried to talk and his tongue seemed to be thick. And I said, you haven't had a stroke or something, have you? And he shook his head, no. My mind's clear. I haven't had a stroke or a heart attack or something. She said I slipped over and sat on the arm of his chair. And I said, Daddy, tell me what it is. And he said, Mother, God's been talking to me. I said, then it wasn't a dream. He said, I guess it wasn't. God talked to me while I was asleep. And he said to me, how about the spiritual welfare of your church? How many are genuinely saved? How many are entirely sanctified? How many are pressing on into the experience? How much glory is there in your average service? How much power in your prayer meeting? How much joy in your testimonies? How much are you moving upon the community with this great and glorious gospel? How much does it thrill your heart to tell the story of what God has done to save a lost world and of this gospel and say, how much does it thrill your heart and your heart throbbed? He said, Mother, I said to God, I don't know. And said, God said to me, that's right. You don't know and you haven't cared. (laughs) Come on, men. Come on, women. Come on, preachers. Come on, preachers' wives. Come on, church leaders. That's right. You answer me rightly. You have, you don't know. But the deepest thing is you didn't, you haven't cared. You've gone on your merry way. On with the show, on with the dance, on with the TV, on with the entertainment, on with the travels across the country, on with the foolishness, on with the frolic, on with the fun, on with the weenie rolls, on with the hay rides, on with the parties, on with the social gala, on with this new liberal gospel. On with getting the right man on the board of stewards so you got an increase in pay every year for the last three or four years. He said under the shock of that, Mother, he said to me, how is it with your friends and the neighbors who live next to the parsonage? How much have you dealt with them about their soul? How much have you played with them? How much have you spent yourself and sought their salvation? And he said, I said to God, I don't know. And said, God said, that's right, you don't know. And you haven't cared. There's a menu. Spiritually barren family. 
tries to cover up the neglect of souls by sending in a covered dish from the community. When one has slipped through your fingers and into eternity, no doubt in hell, a covered dish, a dollar to give for a blanket of flowers or something else for the funeral. Oh, God, help it. He said, Mom, he said to me, how's it with your children? What about their experience of grace? What about their daily lives? What about them adorning the gospel of Jesus Christ? What about their sacrificial living? What about the glory and fire in their testimonies and prayer? What about the assurance that they'll meet together in heaven around the great white throne and meet Jesus Christ. And he said, I said to God, I don't know. Oh, parents, God help you tonight not to know where your children stand, not to know where they are spiritually, not to know where to be much concerned. The Bashams and some of the folks are here from old Atwood Church where we pastored in Louisville. I'll never forget one night, that was before you started attending there, Brother Whitaker. I'll never forget one night in the prayer meeting. We had prayer meeting downstairs in the basement auditorium. I'd sat there and listened to the class leader as he led prayer meeting that night and to the testimonies and praise and to the spontaneous breaking out of song. And some way in it, I didn't hear my youngest daughter Shirley testify. And the class leader said, is that everyone? And he got up to close the service and I rose to my feet and walked forward and I said, don't close it. Don't close it, please. He said, why, Brother Kendall? I said, I didn't hear Shirley testify tonight. And I turned to her person. I said, Shirley, don't you have a testimony? And you missed it. And she stood with tears. And she said, Daddy, I testified. Oh, hear me tonight. How can you go out? No, they're lost and undone, indifferent and playing with some lukewarm, cold, formal church. Have no God on your own life and no glory. Great God, your own offsprings. The tragedy of spiritual indifference. Now it gets to the place where you let your own children slip through your fingers into hell. Play with them in an old, cold, formal church. Wrapped up with TV and skating and mixed bathing and everything else there is this liberal. Oh, the tragedy of this thing. You've stayed in until you've gone stone blind. You've stayed in until you're so bound by these things, my God, till the Holy Ghost has had to just about give you up and let you go. He said, God said to me, how is it with your wife? How is it with your companion? And he said, I said to him, I don't know. Could you imagine a husband and wife not knowing where each other stands spiritually? Not being concerned enough to once in a while have a close class meeting. Once in a while confess false to each other 
once in a while kneel in brokenness and contrition of heart. Once in a while to have a burden together for the family. Oh, my God. Could you imagine it? I said, I don't know. And God said to me, that's right, you don't know. And you haven't cared. It doesn't matter to you whether your wife goes to hell or goes to heaven. Just so you can run on your merry way and enjoy life. He said, Mother. She said, Daddy. And she said, gazing up into his face, I saw his color change. I saw dread and fear come across his countenance. And I said, Daddy, Daddy. Did what God say tell the truth of you? She said, he looked down in my face and said, God told me the absolute truth, Mom. That's exactly where I've lived. And she said, I tried to grab him. But he fell to the floor and was dead. God told the exactness of my life. I haven't cared. I haven't cared. And dropped dead. Three years have I come seeking fruit thereon and found none. Cut it down. Why come with it the ground? Oh. I'm not through, I'm just quitting. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855-USA.